Welcome to Obehave, the behavioral science podcast from Ogilvy Consulting. But you can take something, not change the objective thing at all, and by giving it a different context or a different frame, you can make it an entirely different thing in terms of the emotional effect and therefore the resulting behavior. Hello, Nudgers. Welcome to Obehave. Welcome to the new look. Oh, behave. Um, I'm Mike Hughes. I'm joined with Kimberly Richter from the team. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Absolute pleasure, Kimbo. Thank you so much for joining on this podcast today. Um, our first uh, remote working um, version um, of the podcast. So we hope everyone has been all right in the lockdown and hopefully as we start to ease it and everyone's staying safe and um, productive. Um, and you haven't heard from us for a bit because we've been having a bit of a facelift at Obehave, Kimbo. It's true. New looks, same great content. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we've got a, a new look and we have now moved to a new home for our Obehave blog posts and podcasts as well. Definitely come visit us at www.medium slash Obehave. <laughs> Hopefully see you all there. Um, and speaking of the lockdown, we have quite a pertinent interviewee on today's podcast. It's true. James Wallman, the best-selling author of Stuffication and Time and How to Spend It, um, one of the FT's Financial Times Book of the Year 2019. Um, he's come to us to, to give us some of his greatest insights into finding happiness and greater well-being um, with your free time. Wow. And he talks about the, um, about how to, is it how to use experiences or how, what, what experience people like best? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so I think the starting point is, is to say that we spend so much of our education thinking about how to be most productive and um, most impactful with our with our time at work, but very little energy is spent thinking about how to be really considerate and thoughtful with our free time, um, which actually might be the space where we could find the greatest happiness and fulfillment. We know from the data that happiness ultimately leads to success and not the other way around. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really impactful conversation to tune into. Um, I really enjoyed having it and I, and I hope that you all, um, all enjoy participating in it as well. Thank you. Kimbo. Sounds amazing. Um, and speaking of using your free time, um, to bring about the most happiness, um, we have a festival of behavioral science that is still um, going to be happening um, in June. So as you may have read on our socials, um, obviously we can't be uh, bringing you nudged up from uh, Margate this year. However, we're going even bigger. We're going virtual, but we're going global. So that means 12 hours of bringing together what we think are the hottest uh, boldest thinkers of the planet for one virtual conference. Rory will be hosting, we'll be beaming direct into Rory's spare room. Um, we'll be starting off um, in Australia, moving around Asia, coming to Europe, um, and then ending with uh, Chris Graves um, in America. We've got uh, Dan Ariely, Laurie Santos, Cass Sustein, BJ Fogg, uh, Kimberly, anyone else? Who, who else have we got? Yeah, it's a really star-studded lineup, I would say. Also, in the front of happiness, we have Paul Dolan joining us, um, and then a host of really interesting case studies coming to us from Google, from Lloyd's Banking Group, from PwC. So it's definitely not going to be, it's definitely not something that you want to miss. And we're going uber relevant as well because we've got um, Diana Fleischman and Jeffrey Miller talking about Tiger King um, and the evolutionary psychology of Tiger King. So I can't wait for that one. Um, go to nudgestock.co.uk um, to sign up. It is a completely free um, event um, and you will get all uh, the details there to tune in. We're broadcasting on LinkedIn Live and YouTube um, and we'll be putting out um, times and schedules um, near the time. Um, so that is one way to have a happy experience. Um, anything else to add, Kimbo? I think we've covered everything. No, I think that's it. 
Amazing. Okay. Uh, we hope everyone is staying safe and sane. We'll see you on the 12th. Let's cut to the audio. To start, I'd love to hear from you, James, a little bit about your experience writing time and how to spend it, and also what some of the insights included in the book have, have meant to you since its publishing. It's a really great question and quite a broad ranging one. When you say the experience of writing the book, do you mean getting up at four o'clock in the morning, working through till about midday, stopping, having lunch, going for a sleep for an hour, getting back up, having coffee, going for a walk and then working again through till about 10 o'clock at night? Is that the kind of uh, question that you're, you're asking? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Tell us more. Where Where did the idea come from? Oh, so I, I, I wrote a book previously called Stuffocation. I'm a I'm a futurist by, um, I guess, by trade. I've been a futurist since 2004, trend forecaster, figuring out what the future looks like. Um, from that work, I came to believe that our society is fundamentally shifting from materialism as our defining dominant value system to something I call experientialism. Uh, which most people think of in terms of the rise of the experience economy, but there there is also a fundamental shift in our values happenings where we uh, happening where we care more about experiences rather than things. And um, when I first tried to publish that book, it was rejected by I think it was about seventy five publishers, both in New York and London. And the and the main reason that came back time and again was look nice idea, but this guy's got it wrong. Um, so I self published, um, and it then kind of caught on and. Um, there were other um, uh, organizations like McKinsey and uh, data came out that kind of corroborated what I was saying. Um, sorry, that's the moment I get to say I was right. I like to throw that in wherever possible. Um, but with that, that book um, ended up garnering a lot of attention. It was the first time in my life I'd ever done anything that was truly meaningful. So it felt, and I was uh, you know, interviewed and TV and radio and newspapers and magazines and stuff and, and gave talks. And people would say to me um, at the end of or at some point in interviews, they'd say, OK, great, James. So you're saying that, you know, this is happening. But you're also saying because the other side of the book was if you want to be happier, you should spend less on stuff and more on experiences because the data is now very clear. The social science data, it's been replicated, this research um, about nine times or so. It's very clear. If you want to be happier, spend less on stuff, spend on experiences instead. That will make you happier. And people would say to me, OK, great. That's really good advice, James. Thank you very much. I don't know what to do with that. What kind of experiences should I choose? And I didn't know the answer. That's that's uh, that's simply the starting point for this. I, um, I sometimes try to fudge the answer. Um, I know the kind of things that I like, but, you know, I like climbing. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but I like it. You know, I like skiing. Uh, again, I'm not very good at it, but I like it. Um, I play football very badly. Um, but my wife doesn't like any of those things, and she really likes um, experimental theatre. And I hate experimental theatre. Um, but it's not for me to say whether you should like one thing or another. But what I wanted to do was try and find out what's the answer? What is the... Is there an answer to the question, what kind of experiences should you choose uh, in order to be happier and uh, live a better life? And so I went looking for the answer. I talked to um, economists and psychologists, behavioral psychologists, evolutionary psychologists, clinical psychologists, um, and read science papers uh, by um by these people, people at Stanford and Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and MIT and NYU and Tokyo University and the LSE and, uh, you know, read the papers, some most, uh, almost all of them published, but some unpublished that um, uh, people would share with me as well. And I ended up, I, Kimberly, I don't know how you do your thinking, but I'm one of those very messy thinkers. Uh, I like to read and explore very, very widely until I find myself coming in the opposite direction, until I've kind of, you know, start to read things again and again. And when I'm having conversations, I hear something. I don't want to say that I know it already, but I've heard it from another direction. Um, and then when I get to that point, I kind of throw, <laughs> um, I, I put up big pieces of paper and a whiteboard in our um, kitchen, which is also my office when the kids aren't around. And um put loads of information up and try and join the dots, try and figure out, you know, where, where things are connected. And essentially what I do was I took those ideas and I started to, uh, dist I essentially distilled them into a set of rules because I was very conscious. I wanted to create something 
that would be useful for people. Um, as you guys know, obviously, uh, at Ogilvy, you understand the importance of um, behavioral psychology, and most people um, forget most things. And if you don't make it simple, people won't follow it. If you don't make it easily easy to remember, people won't follow it. So I was very conscious I wanted to create that. So I took all those learnings and um, created a checklist. Stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S. Um, story transformation outside and offline relationships intensity extraordinary and status and significance um, and put it into a book that's lovely I, I really appreciate how you've pulled together so much of what the academic community has to say but then also married that to your own personal experience and that this incredibly powerful um, checklist has sort of emerged from the fog um, I was hoping you could give an example of an experience that hits all of the checks on the, the stories checklist, just for anybody who might be less familiar with the stories checklist than you or, you or I. One experience that delivers everything is quite tough. Um, I went, I went, I went on a, a, a holiday with a company called Nielsen uh, last summer, and that ticks nearly every box. It was. I'm a really poor sailor, but I love it. And um, I, I joined this group of sailors who were just a lot better than me. I was easily the worst sailor in the group and we were racing every day. Okay, and It was just brilliant. So the magic of this is you, a, you get a story and the story is the hero's journey. So the wind was changing a lot and I was falling in the water and capsizing my boat on one day, probably about 25 times. So if you think about the experience of this was uh, that I was failing miserably. I was going through that, you know, that hero's journey, but coming out of it and getting to the end um, in terms of T, in terms of transformation. Well, for a start, so there's three three levels of transformation I talk about in the book. There's um, fly and flop, there's um, find and seek, and there's go and become. And the ideal transformation is where you get a bit of everything. And the magic for me of doing that sailing is I live in London, I don't sail. Um, so it's completely different to what I usually do. I love sailing. I'm in the, um, you know, I'm outdoors. Well, we'll come to that. So the O is outside and offline. I didn't take my phone with me. I didn't think for a single moment about email or deadlines when I was doing it because I was hanging on for dear life. Um, so the O is outside and offline, as I said that, and I was outside. So they had, you know, these beautiful Croatian mountains in the background and I was on the sea. And if you look at the data from Mappiness, which is from these guys at the London School of Economics, um, it's the, the largest in the moment study ever conducted. And it shows quite clearly that the places where people are happy happiest is by the water. Um, it's correlation, not causation, but um, very large data set. So pretty trustworthy, I, I, I would say. The R is for relationships. And I was sailing with... Uh, even as I'm saying, I can picture the people. Um, I was sailing against people who became my friends and and with them. And I even banged into some people's boats because I'm that bad a sailor. Uh, and of course, afterwards in the bar, we would have stories and we would talk about what had happened. And that, of course, brought me closer to those people um, uh, and, you know, created a sense of belonging, which is, you know, super important. The opposite of loneliness. The I is intensity. It's about flow. I think I've already said I was, you know, uh, trying to figure out how to keep this thing uh, upright and also go faster. Uh, that is, you know, I was totally in the moment. The E for extraordinary. Um, was it a peak experience? It was just about the mo one of the most peak experiences I had of the year. Um, just because it was it was beautiful there at times I was going really fast and getting thrown off a boat is fun you know you're totally in the moment um, and it, it was really memorable um, I also came out with they had a, a, some people that somebody there taking pictures um, and there's something to do you know pictures they can get in the way when you take too many but it's nice to have some to bring those memories back um, I saw somebody sent me a link to the article that I wrote an article for the, um, the Telegraph um somebody sent me a link to the article the other day and it's got this picture of me being a crap sailor which was awesome and then finally the status and significance there was definitely a sense of sense of status because status also comes from belonging I was a sounds a bit weird when I say it out loud but I was a person in this group you know I was I was the one who was really bad but it was it was um you know I had a place in that group of people 
And at the end of it, one of the really interesting things about uh, flow is when you emerge from a flow experience and you can lose all sense of time when you're in flow, but you emerge feeling slightly taller and slightly more of a person. And I, um, this sounds silly, but I feel proud to say that I'm a crap sailor, but that still makes me a sailor, you know, even though I was a really bad one. But then this thing about significance, significance, I I definitely uh, existed as, you know, as part of this group. Uh, I'm in email contact with one of the people, actually two of the people uh, from, um, you know, this is almost a year later. But in terms of significance, it's really about doing stuff for other people. So I definitely actually had an experience that where one of the guys who was like a really good sailor, like gave me an impromptu lesson in how to sail. Um, I think partly while he was laughing as he was telling me, uh, but it was quite but was I able to do something for other people? I certainly made people laugh because I was so bad. Um, but did I really deliver something to somebody else? I'm not sure that I did in that instance. Um, the, probably the supreme example of, or a simpler way of doing stuff for other people was really about random acts of kindness or acts of kindness. So there's kindness is um, covered under this S of the stories checklist. Kindness is like this weird superpower. Um, when you're kind to somebody, um, you uh you have oxytocin appears in your system uh, when someone is kind to you oxytocin appears in your system if you witness somebody else being kind to somebody else oxytocin appears in your system and oxytocin is the love drug it's the one that you get when you make love to someone it's the one you get when you hold a, a newborn baby it's you know it's uh it's really good for us. so kindness has got this kind of crazy uh pay it forward superpower so Anytime you're kind to somebody, maybe um, as simple as, you know, during the time of coronavirus where you say you see somebody older and you say, OK, you go first or supermarkets having that hour for, um, you know, senior people. Um, or if you offer, you know, if you check in on a neighbor and say, do you need anything at the moment? Um, then you have an opportunity to do something for other people. Yeah. Thank you, James. That's a really lovely illustration of the stories checklist. I. I like the element of surprising yourself with what you didn't think you'd be capable of and, you know, venturing outside of your comfort zone. Um, I wish I were also sailing right now. Um, I could definitely see how that would be transformative. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, though, on whether transformation should always be the end goal. Like, do we think that that's a realistic outcome of of following the stories checklist, um, especially in this time now when we're um, stuck inside of our homes during COVID-19? I remember having a conversation with a guy at Cornell University, a guy called um, Tom Gilovich, who helped me create uh, one part of the book. Uh, one of the questionnaires and was a really useful sounding board. And he, he'd just been to some like choice conference for um, a bunch of the significant um, um, social psychologists in the States. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, um, with all these things about how to be happier and more successful, there's all these different rules. And sometimes you just don't feel like you're in the mood. So take one, for example, is gratitude. Okay. So we all know that gratitude makes people happier okay but sometimes you wake on a up on a Saturday morning or I don't know wherever whatever period you're in in your life you just don't feel very grateful um and and almost well I think the way this story's checklist work is a bit like a menu if you think about if you go to a restaurant let's say for the sake of argument wait look we all know that kale and broccoli are good for you okay um but when you go to a restaurant you don't always order the really healthy thing. Sometimes you're in the mood for, I don't know, some kind of kale and broccoli creation. Sometimes you want a burger. Sometimes you want to have uh, something heavy. Some, you know, it depends what you're in the mood for. And the idea of this story's checklist is almost to act like a menu of things that you can pick. And I say this partly because it was interesting what you, you were saying that about, you know, um, self, you know, self-development, I think you said, and um, fulfillment um as and it's it, I, I was interviewed by somebody yesterday actually, actually who really wanted me to talk about you know how personal growth is really important for people and their happiness but one of the things i mean i you know i'm, I'm coming at this very much from the behavioral psychology point of view is that you know if you think about um the elephant and the rider you think about jonathan hates um 
way of thinking about um, behavioural psychology, where we all like to think we're in control and we're the rider on the elephant directing the elephant. But if the elephant wants to go left or right or go right over there, that's where the elephant will go. And um, I don't always want to be incredibly fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always want personal growth. I mean, mm. personal growth is great, right? But sometimes I just want to have fun. Mm. And um, I think sometimes some of the... If, if someone was to come to me with a, this is how you can be happy and successful and you're going to do personal growth and you're going to be really fulfilled. Now that really works. If you're one of those people that likes to go on a Tony Robbins course, yeah. is it Tony Robbins? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, those kind of really gung ho people who are like, yeah, who, who are in the 5.30 a.m. 5 a.m. club, you know, those people that really want to get up and do that. Mm. And, and, you know, I, 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 um, I do exercise, but I also sometimes, I, I love the American version of The Office. Mm. Um, I mean, just, you know, let's be really clear. Too much TV is really, you know, is, is not really going to be good for you. Yeah. Um, you're better off to go out there and live your life. But I don't think people should always be worried about massive fulfillment. You know, let's mm. take going to a um, Six Flags or some kind of place with um, with roller coasters. Going on a roller coaster is not going to lead to a really fulfilled life. Mm. Hell, it'll be a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. And having going to a fancy dress party, is that going to lead to fulfillment and, you know, personal growth? Well, actually, weirdly, it will do, but that's the way you can get into that. So, but sorry, I'm, I've really I've gone, gone loose here uh, in terms of answering your question. How has it changed my life? I use it when I feel up, when I feel down, when I think about the shape of my weekends, when I think about the shape of my life, when I um, feel like I'm going through a difficult period. The first chapter is about the story and the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been special, I, I give keynote talks and I've been specializing in travel, um, recently, um, uh, in particular because the travel industry is really excited about using this stories checklist. I've, I'm working with a whole bunch of firms. Mm. Uh, and of course the coronavirus yeah. has just killed the, uh, conference business. So that's one major stream of my income gone. And, uh, it's also killed the travel business. So mm. I've literally, just my my business is like uh, the titanic at the moment um so um but you know if if you use the the um, the learnings from the first chapter that from the story which is the first s of the stories checklist um you can see that how that's an essential part of the hero's journey and once you reframe things in that way it casts a more positive light on it absolutely and i think what really resonated from for me with what you just said there is that you know sometimes you know, life is very much about peaks and troughs, but but we need those troughs as well in order for the, the peaks to be meaningful. And so the expectation that everything is a moment for fulfillment and excitement is, is somewhat unreasonable um, and, and might make the end outcome less fulfilling in some. And I think that in this, this time of coronavirus, there's a lot of expectation around how we're going to use our free time and, and what goals we're going to accomplish and what languages we're going to learn and whether we're going to create sourdough starters or not. Um, but maybe the quiet moments are also very impactful and taking that moment to to frame the experience and the uncertainty in a way that's helpful for us. And I, I'd love to hear from you around storytelling and and what kind of stories might be more beneficial or less beneficial um, to bolstering our resilience? Um, well, this, with the, um, the, the starting way is just to say that stories are kind of magic. They set off this incredibly simple process that connects us to other people. So any kind of story um, will connect you to other people through, uh, it sort of sets off a domino line. I think it was a domino line to happiness and success and resilience. Um, and it does that through a process called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons were discovered um, in humans, I think, uh, less than a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And mirror neurons is when I tell a story, or when anybody tells a story, the person who's listening there, the neurons in their brain fire the same as the person who's telling the, the, the story. And that is, according to neuroscientists, the physical um, basis for empathy, okay, because our brains are firing the same. Empathy, of course, leads to connection, connection leads to relationships, relationships lead directly to happiness. If you look at um, the longest study, I think, conducted on this is running since 1939, study started at Harvard, shows very clearly that if you want to figure out the people who are going to live the longest, happiest, healthiest lives, it's those people who have 
Um, it's about the quality uh, and the quantity of their relationships. You can forget how much they exercise, what they eat, uh, all sorts of other factors matter far less than um, their relationships. And you've probably seen the stuff about loneliness um, being really bad for mortality too. So, um, so stories connect us to other people. So that increases, uh, like I say, our happiness. Uh, happiness leads to success. It also builds our resilience. But there's a type of story that you should tell that is more likely to connect with other people. It's more likely to fire up their mirror neurons. And if you've ever, um, if you ever been on a date, Kimberly, you ever been on a date? I've been on a few. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been on a really boring date where you sit there and the person's talking to you and you're like, I'm just not interested in what you're talking it's about. It's the worst. <laughs> okay. Um, and probably, you know, people that might listen to this have probably been on a date too. And, um, you know, this resonates for people. And what happens when you go on a date and, and um, you know, someone talks about something you're not interested in is your mirror neurons are basically saying, you know, your neur- neurons are not really firing up. So if someone talks to you about squash or their passion for, let me make this up here, ceramics that come from Myanmar, I'm, I'm, I'm making something up, um, and you're just not interested. That's what happens when people don't connect. Yeah, your mirror neurons are saying, like, get the check and leave, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, thinking uh, that friend that you said to phone you at a certain point, so you'd have a phone call to say you had to leave. That's that's the window. You're hoping for that call to come in. But there's a shape of stories you can tell that resonates for everybody. It's called um, the hero's journey. And it's where... Um, it's where something goes wrong, essentially. It's ba- it's the, the, the shape of story is... Um, the hero's journey is told by every culture in the world so the yoruba of west africa the eskimo of the far north the french the british um the americans the serbs the vietnamese every culture in the world tells stories mythical stories in the shape of the hero's journey and you'll see this in all sorts of hollywood movies too it's the story of uh luke skywalker it's the story of moan it's the story of jesus um, it's the story of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. And, and basically what happens is you have a hero who is in an ordinary world and then something happens, something goes wrong. There's a, some sort of big challenging thing that happens. And then the hero comes out the other side and lives happily ever after. So Cinderella is a super example of this. So Cinderella, there she is. She's got a mum and a dad. Uh, her mum dies. Her dad remarries. Then her dad dies, leaving her with this wicked stepmother and her two horrible daughters and then, of course, she meets the prince. There's, you know, obviously some complications in the story about the slipper and stuff. But essentially, she meets the prince and she lives happily ever after. And where that's interesting as a story is, imagine, Kimberly, if the story of, of Cinderella was Cinderella had a mum and a dad. She met the prince and they got married and yeah, lived happily ever after. I don't know after. if Cinderella would be as likable in that situation. <laughs> yeah. There's no story. It would not be the incredible story that is. She needed for her mum and dad to die and be left in that horrible situation with the wicked stepmother for it to be a story. And if you think about that and think about how that applies to her, there's a, there's a couple of things here. First up, if you tell a story in the shape of the hero's journey, you are more likely to connect with other people because their mirror neurons are primed to respond to that story it doesn't matter about the local details it doesn't matter if your story is about the time you crashed your parents car the time you had a party at your parents house and they were furious with you or the time that you caught your partner in bed with uh, the neighbor or you know you got dumped or you um, didn't get into the school you wanted to go to or you got fired from a job or whatever the thing was that went wrong as soon as you start to tell somebody that story their mirror neurons get it because we've all had that experience. We recognize the basic details. But uh, uh, so at a personal level, we've all had that. But at a um, deeper ancestral level, if you like, we know that. Because if you think about our ancestors, your ancestors and my ancestors, Kimberly, um, stuff went wrong for them. You know, they had to uh, cross oceans. They had to cross water. They had to cope with cold cold nights, uh, ice ages, they had to fight enemies. Those enemies may have been cave hyenas. They may have been bears. They could have been, you know, um, you know, they, they could have been another tribe, another nation, whatever. But in order to survive, they had to go through that period of struggle. So the reason why every culture in the world tells 
the hero's journey, myths in the shape of this hero's journey, is because it resonates with all of us at a deep level. If you want to tell a story that um, connects you with someone else that fires up their mirror neurons, you should tell a story in the shape of the hero's journey. Now, you could do that. You think about doing that on a personal level, but you can also think about leaders. Great leaders tell stories in the shape of the hero's journey because it's the best way to fire up somebody's mirror neurons and inspire them to come with us. You think about the great leaders will say, look, things are tough now, but come with me and we will make it to the promised land. And it's the same at a personal level. So if you want to get laid more, if you want to be a leader, if you want to lead people in war, um, you know, in the boardroom, whatever, tell stories in the shape of the hero's journey. If you do that, connect with more people, that will create resilience around you because friendships are one of the key things that you need uh, for resilience. Um, you'll be happier and you'll be more successful. I also, I love the the section of this chapter. My my copy is heavily annotated um, in this in this part around um, this one psychotherapist that used this hero's journey arc as a way to help people understand their place in life um, and all of the people and experiences around them in a way that was really constructive. So um, when there are obstacles or things that feel out of one's control, just having faith that, oh, that's that's just something that I have to overcome to get to um, the next stage of the journey and whatnot. Um, so that was lovely as well in terms of, of using this hero's arc in storytelling to other people, but then also storytelling to ourselves, um, especially in times of, of crisis or uncertainty. So So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. I'm teaching a course at the moment, actually. Um, I was with a group of people, you know, doing a Zoom online course with people. And I taught them through the story, uh, the hero's journey yesterday. And it just always resonates with people because you can use it to think this is where I am. How do I move on to the next part of my journey? And obviously at a time of coronavirus, there's a big you know, there's there's a there's a mountain to climb. There's a hole to get past. There's a there's a problem to overcome that we're all experiencing on a you know, a daily basis. So it's, it's kind of useful for people, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then also um, recognizing the universality of that, um, that we're all on that same journey together. And around your point with relationships um, and sharing stories in this time, do you have any tips from either Zoom or any other medium of, of keeping connected when we're meant to be self-isolating? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's really, it's a, it's a weird time. And it's, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day and something got quite emotional, actually. Um, you know, my parents live uh, an hour, one is one hour away and the other one's about two hours away. And a Zoom is, ha, you know, it's the best we can do so far. At least I can see them. Seeing somebody is better than just speaking to them, of course. Um, as soon as the restrictions are lifted, I'm going to go see them and I may have to just sit in their garden and sit a distance from them. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I live on a street where there's there's two WhatsApp groups that have been created on the street. One which is all about helping each other, which is really nice, and the other one which is sending, you know, daft funny videos, uh, which is also fun. But I, I, we, we, on the, our street, we've it seems like we've really connected. I mean, there's a fair bit of virtue signalling as well with people kind of saying, "Hey, I'm popping out to the shop. Does anybody need anything?" And you sometimes think, "No, it's you know, I can." Ocado's still delivering. Tesco seems to be delivering on this. You know, we've got all these people delivering food. It's it's fine. But it's um, and then of course there's the clap for carers. And what's kind of interesting, I think, about clap for carers on a Thursday evening is one one of the guys here is a doctor, so it's quite nice for him to receive some appreciation. But it's also an opportunity for everyone to stand on their front porch and shout to each other and say a few words. But the other tip that I've got is so I, I cycle to get exercise um, and. I went to see, I've been to see two people who are well, about a mile and a half away uh, in uh, Notting Hill and my brother just the other side of Richmond Park, um, which is allowed because I'm allowed my period of exercise. And I've knocked on the door and then stood back and stood about, you know, three metres from the front door. And I got to see my brother and I got to see one of my best friends. Um, you know, I kept my, you know, we were more than two metres. My brother did bring out a glass of water and then stepped back from it you know it was, it was really kind of comedy um but I was able to sit and it was I was 
I was really surprised at the difference that it made to me. But I think the thing to remember, and just to, to share, I think this is possibly obvious in my work anyway, I really go with evolutionary psychology. I, I think that that explains um, how we think and how we are. And we are uh, we're very simple animals who procreate in order to keep the species alive. Um, and when we see other animals and we're able to hug them and touch them, it feels right because we are flesh and blood humans. And um, talking to someone on the phone is not as good. But, uh, you know, still having a beer with a friend over Zoom, I thought that, you know, when somebody suggested it to me first, I was like, look, I hate teleconferences at the best of times. I do not want to teleconference with my friends. You know, this is not where my life is at. But um, yeah, it's okay, you know. Yeah. And I guess another aspect of that evolution that we've all inherited is that we constantly adapt and um, and create new senses of normality and, and new ways to connect to one another, even in challenging circumstances. Um in terms of, of how we spend time, you mentioned that you have been cycling loads, but I wonder how stories can also be applied, you know, within the home to create experiences that um, are, are meaningful during this, this time period as well, potentially encouraging like a sense of discovery or, or curiosity or challenge that can distract us and kind of keep us afloat. Really interesting. Um, I'm interesting you use the word distract uh distract getting a bad uh, a bad uh, rap i think nowadays you know the when i think of distraction i think of really that device in your pocket <laughs> you know i think of those devices and i use the phrase in the book i'm sure you've seen it the weapons of mass distraction and there's that lovely book by uh near Ial, my friend in new york uh, indistractable um and I don't know if you've seen Nia's work, but really interesting. He, he is quite, um, I'd say, martial about things, about, you know, planning out your day. I wouldn't do as much of that. I would definitely say that, you know, flow is really important for uh, well-being and checking the news every now and again to find out what we're doing with immunity certificates and face masks and what the latest numbers are for COVID-19 is not going to be very helpful. And, you know, checking WhatsApp all the time, it's just, you know, an email. So, so setting limits there sounds like it might be important. Yeah, a limit, but much better. We have a cupboard in our kitchen where all our devices are kept. And I've got something that's come through the post that's a timer to lock things away. Um, one of the f- most important things on that front is charge where you charge your phone. Where do you charge your phone, Kimberly? Oh, you're going to be upset with me. I charge it next to my bed. <laughs> Whoa. Well, I'm glad we've had this conversation, Kimberly. <laughs> because... <laughs> Um, if you charge your phone somewhere that other than your bedroom, um, the data is pretty clear. You'll sleep better. Mm. And there's also data that suggests you'll have more sex. Okay. We're exploring then. You know, so you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, but, no, you know, but seriously, yeah, don't charge your phone in the bedroom. You, you'll look at it anyway. So don't, don't make it the last thing you look at at night. Bear in mind that if you look at your phone, you might look at your email. And you yeah. might get an email from your boss. And lovely as your boss is, I'm sure, and it might well be Rory, um, and he is brilliant and lovely, but at the same time, you don't need to see an email from him just before you go to bed because it's yeah. probably going to start making you think about work. And actually, I mean, work is amazing, right? Work is fun. It's great to do mm-hmm. something productive with your time and, you know, you know, achieve things, but at the same time, not just before you go to bed. And you don't need to see it when you first get up in the morning. Um those of us addicted to our phones. So put the phone somewhere else. The other thing is, you know, take the T, transformation from stories. Um, transformation, this is really a sort of a, a catch-all umbrella term to talk about being who you truly are and who you want to be. Um, it sounds kind of hippie-ish, but it, really it should be very mainstream. Uh, and it's quite simple. If, if you want to be happier, um, the, I'd probably say the classic most established uh, formulae for happiness are very clear on this. You should try to be true to yourself and try and evolve to become the person you have the potential to become. So a bit like the phone thing, actually, don't just turn the telly on. I've started playing the guitar. I've had this guitar for 10 years, okay? And uh, I bought it after like this therapy thing I went on years ago. I was like, you're right, that's it. I'm going to learn the guitar. And then I wrote Stuffocation. And one of the big messages of Stuffocation is if you've got stuff you don't use, you should get rid of it for a whole bunch of reasons. One is taking up space. The other is it's looking at you saying, 
if you don't use me, you're, you know, you're a bad person. But I've actually picked up this bloody guitar and it turns out I'm pretty much as bad as I thought I was going to be. But that said, I think I'm about 10 days into doing it now. My wife came into the room the other day with a sort of look of, oh, on her face. And I sort of turned to her, I was, I was like, did that sound almost like music? And we had this kind of funny moment where maybe I'm not as dreadful as I thought I might be. Um, I'm reading a brilliant Ernest Hemingway book at the moment called A Farewell uh, to Arms, which is just awesome. That's one of the important things I think about um, avoiding TV, especially at the end of the day when you've kind of run out of energy. The great thing about picking up the guitar is, you know, it doesn't take up too much. It, it is a different way of using my brain. And having a really good piece of fiction to read, I think is magic because it it's an inspiring way to avoid looking at the screen in front of you. Um, Absolutely, and fires all of those those mirror neurons also in terms of the empathizing with an, with another character. Um, yeah, no, I there's been so many funny memes floating around the internet around you know all the people that threw all of their things away after watching Marie Kondo, I believe her name is, like w- wishing that they had more things in their house. <laughs> That's pretty fun. I'm very glad though that you still um, have your guitar and rediscovered that. I know, I know you mentioned also this concept of flow, and I wonder if you could explain to our audience what flow is and whether you've gotten to a point where you're experiencing flow when you're playing guitar. Um, flow uh, was discovered by a guy called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, it basically shows that um, we often think about happiness in the wrong way. We think that we're going to be happy when the work is done and we're uh, sat on like, you know, the sofa or the sun lounger with our feet up and, you know, relaxed and everything's done but the truth is we te- we're much happier when we're right in the moment it's what Eckhart Tolle talked about being in the present an athlete would say it's about being in the zone and we tend to get into and it's what Mihai Csikszentmihalyi calls flow when we're really into something you know when we're creating a presentation when we're uh, struggling to play the guitar maybe meditating if you're able to actually get into that zone of concentration um, so it's when you're doing something that is pushing you to your your uh, limit skiing is probably or or sailing those two things always strike me as being really good exemplars of when you're in flow or or when you're um, cycling down a hill with your feet off the pedals and you're really in the moment you know and I think it's really easy not to be in flow in the current situation because too many people or just you know too many of us are getting caught up in the what ifs of what's going to happen when's it going to change how are we going to come off out of lockdown um, I've talked to a lot of people in the past couple of weeks who are um, yo-yoing slightly, a bit of a sort of emotional roller coaster. And, you know, we all have Wi-Fi at home, so it's really easy to go check into your email and check into the news and check your WhatsApp. And those things are just little moments of distraction. Flow is when you kind of enable yourself to get into something. And I think it takes a bit of discipline it take, it's really about creating good habits, actually. Um, I've started to, to meditate a little bit more than I usually would do. Um, just because, actually, partly just because I find it quite enjoyable. Um, yeah. And I've, you know, I think that's, the, the other thing is I think different people are going through different phases with this coronavirus. You know, the first week's like, woo, I've got all this time. I'm not commuting. Um, and depending on how senior you, you are in a firm, People are then, you know, dealing with governmental things, trying to keep the company afloat, dealing with who gets furloughed, who doesn't get furloughed. So, you know, some people are already stretched, even more stretched for time, despite the lack of commute. Um, but, the, you know, it's, I think of that, the British thing in Second World War, keep calm and carry on. There's a lot to be said for that. Keep calm, carry on, avoid the weapons of mass distraction. Get yourself into good little habits that will, uh, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the point of the story's checklist, actually. The idea is that it's really simple to remember. And if you find yourself with a moment, you go, right, what is the story stuff? Oh, that's it. I should do one of those things. And the more that you just kind of rely on this story's checklist, the more you'll do that. And next thing you know, you'll in, it effectively increases your chances of happiness and success. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think maybe key is, is focusing on which of those elements you can do. 
um, in the present moment. And maybe that might be like investing in relationships that you haven't um, necessarily tended to because of distance or time or whatever the barrier might be, or to your point around transformation, being really self-reflective um, and meditating on, on where you are in your own journey um, and how you might want to make adjustments um, in terms of your priorities or how you spend your time and then exploring different opportunities to, to experience flow, you know, in the hobbies that you choose. So I, I really love that insight. I think that's great. And then also just radically accepting the uncertainty that, that it is what it is and, and we're just going to have to, to flow with it. But I, I do, I do like to think though, that coming out of this crisis, there's going to be opportunity to, to rebuild what, you know, life looks like on an individual level, but then also, you know, within communities and on a national level. Um, and I know that at the start of this conversation, you you chatted a little bit around the, the shifts that you've seen in, in our culture from consumption to experientialism. And I'm curious to hear, you know, what kind of things would you like us to to keep from this transition period? And, and what would you like us to leave? I hate the idea that capitalism is broken. I think people have been sort of, you know, pushing that out for um, more than a decade now. Well, you know, since before the crash, actually, of 2007. And there's always this new idea about this version of capitalism or that version of capitalism that people are coming out. And there's, there's no doubt about it that capitalism needs to evolve and is evolving. It needs to evolve in the time of, um, uh, you know, the problems with we have with the environment in this century. But, it, you know, Capitalism is a really interesting beast, I think, that seems to go through these, you know, uh, Joseph Schumpeter's term of creative destruction, and it will do that again, and it's it's going through that. And I think that one of the problems with capitalism is that the individual has been touted um, above the community, um, particularly in the Western version of capitalism. And so we have strong systems that are based around the the individual and we've forgotten about community and I think this is one of the reasons why we have such huge problems with loneliness in our society um and I think it's also led to some kind of breakdown in society and people's you know focus this is the problem with materialism people think happiness and this is not just what people think but it's it's how we're encouraged to think you know the government is rated on its success generally on its you know the size of gdp is it big is it small is it getting bigger at a good rate is it bigger than germany's on france's or are we keeping up you know this is um and that at a personal level is what's my income you know, we rate ourselves, you think about Alan de Botton's work on status um, and other people's work on status, you know, we rate ourselves in terms of the level of our income as our, as our starting point. And countries see themselves in, in terms of the size of their GDP, you know, these sort of simple numbers. These are very, I would describe these as materialistic numbers. Um, but actually, the banker who makes, I don't know, three million pounds a year may not be living as good a life as the person who earns 50,000 pounds a year simply because she or he may not be connected to, uh, you know, their family or have time to spend with friends in the same way that the other person does. So when you shift your um, your point of view from being materialistic to being um, what I'd call an experientialist, I think of experiences as more important than material goods, then you'll start to realize that what really matters is not gathering a whole bunch of stuff, but doing things. And those things, I think if you, you know, I, I don't mean just to tout this checklist of mine, this story's checklist, but if you pick experiences that tick the boxes on the story's checklist, um, you won't only be happier yourself, but you'll be part of a society that's happier too. Um, and I think communities, that's the R. The R is for relationships. The S at the end is status and significance. Significance is about doing stuff for other people. If you go all the way back to Aristotle almost two and a half thousand years ago and look at the Nicomachean ethics, um, he talks about the importance of the term he used, I think, was munificence. Um, obviously, that's a, <laughs> an English version of his term. But it was really about the importance of doing something for your city state in terms of your status. And I think that I hope we'll see a time where people um, start to realise that just doing stuff for themselves 
won't deliver much ha- as much happiness for them and it won't be as good for society as well. And if they can shift around to start to realise the importance of community and being significant in a, a meaningful way and doing stuff for other people, they'll create a better world that they'll enjoy being part of too. It's kind of my hope. But you can already see that coming. You know, it's not just me, you know, you know, I'm a futurist. My job is to look at what the innovators are doing today, see what everyone's going to do tomorrow. Look at the B Corp uh, movement and look at the, um, you know, the idea instead of um, just caring about shareholders who are really important, by the way, you know, profit is fantastic motivator. And it's, you know, a business does not run. It's, it's, a business is not sustainable unless it has profit so but caring about um all the stakeholders so it's about you know it's this triple bottom line stuff for you know people planet um profits as well and again let's come back to capitalism let's just point out that capitalism is awesome um charity um i'm i don't know if you come across this idea of donut economics uh susan raworth's idea i understand it's being trialed in amsterdam i'm confused about what i think about it at the moment some people i know think it's the answer um, I don't agree with Tim Jackson's idea about prosperity without growth. I think growth is awesome. We just need, I don't want to be too much of a kind of one hit wonder or one, you know, one idea. And I don't think that experientialism is the silver bullet that will rescue us. But if you spend on experiences rather than stuff, you don't necessarily create such a big um, negative carbon footprint for the world. And I think that you can still have growth and you can decouple it from oil and the various problems that have come along with capitalism. So that's that's my hope. Um, thank you for asking me that question and letting me rant. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. I, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Um, and I think that one interesting point that you made in your book was also that experiences allow for less comparison in terms of status as material goods might um, and how that creates space for for communities to become more resilient as a result um, and tie more closely together um, so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that that manifests in the coming months and coming years and thank you also for for so much for your time um, and for coming on Obehave to to share so much with our audience I know this is a really difficult time for everyone and it makes a real difference to to hear your thoughts on storytelling and relationships and flow and transformative experience I hope that everybody, Um, has taken away a little something that they might be able to implement today, tomorrow, um, and for the duration of this very strange period. Um, Thanks, and, and we hope to see you on Obehave again soon.